everybody. Hello. I'm Alan. I'm Brent. And guess what? We're back again. Episode. How many are we, Brent? Episode number 36. All right. We're not recording. We're not? I'm kidding. We are. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) again, uh, as astute, the astute three will know we record usually in the morning at 8 a.m., Yep. And it's a good time to catch Brent a little off guard. And Alan takes far too much pleasure in that. You know, I do. I do laugh at the misfortune of others. Did you see the Taylor Swift? Whoa! My kick the button on my chair and I just dropped about a foot. It was like a little elevator drop. I'm good now. Did you happen to see the uh, Taylor Swift versus a treadmill? No. Ah, it's good. So not a big Tay-Tay fan? Not a big fan of treadmills. I, in fact, if, I've, if I were to choose one or the other, I would choose the treadmill. But there's this video of Taylor Swift. It's an app. It's an ad for Apple Music. We're at Microsoft. I just talked about Apple. It's great. <laughs> and she's she's running and rapping and showing like she can pick whatever song she wants, you know. And she's doing her thing, and then she falls flat on her face. It's it's hilarious. The misfortune of others always was it Chaucer who said that. Somebody. What one of the three tell me? Um, there's a line, a famous line about laughing at the misfortune of others. And, and I laughed at, at, at Taylor because it was really done well. Honestly, if we take away all of our social filters and, and really think about it, I think we'll all agree that there's nothing funnier than watching somebody actually or accidentally hitting the coffee table with their shin. <laughs> As long as you don't die. <laughs> yeah. As long as you, long don't, as die. you don't die. So how many? 36? 36 episodes, and we have hit our two-year mark. We've been doing this for two years, 36 times, saying the exact same shit. Over and over <laughs> and over. And yet, and yet we, we have now uh, multiple people claiming that uh, – uh, they've binge listened to us, so there's only three listeners, Brent. Yes, they rotate right. through. Okay. Good. <laughs> After one person finishes binge listening, he's like, "Oh, I've Did pretty much, yeah, I pretty much figured out everything these guys have to say." Yeah, <laughs> I don't understand, honestly. Um, thank you, Danny Fott. I I know there's others, but mm-hmm. uh, he's one of the three now, and he said he binge listened, and honestly. I can't stand listening to myself talk for more than about 15 minutes. I don't know how it happens. I don't know how you survive. I'm betting alcohol. Uh, it, it, or massive amounts of coffee. Might be, it might be a distraction from like a, hey, a commute wh- home. I don't know. While, while we're wallowing in our two years of... Think, Whatever this I is. I think success is too strong of a word. In fact, I'm sure it is. Um, two years of of Us. therapy. In uh, one of the topics that was rejected from today's uh, list, uh, as the three know our process is, we get in the room and spend about five minutes writing some things on the whiteboard. We say, yep, 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 nope, nope. We order them. And then uh, we go. And one of the things we cut was uh, just some stuff often – Listeners may have figured this out, but I are you are you uncutting it? No, I'm cutting it. Okay. I'm just saying that they were there because I just need some therapy on this, and working through it with Brent in front of the, in front of three people we can't see uh, often helps me. So, so if we have not helped the three and the community, maybe in a way we've helped each other. Ah, uh, how no. no. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, speaking of hugs, I got the nicest LinkedIn comment that I shared with Brent, and now I'm going to share. Hey, wait a minute. Wait, wait, not yet. Did I oh, ever tell you cliffhanger. That, that I kind of invented a drink? Okay, no, but there's a story here. Please tell me. I call it the group hug. Oh, please go on. And, it's, and it's just N shots of Patron. I love it. <laughs> so that's so interesting. When you thought of drink, I thought I really don't. I love wine, beer. It's IPA or nothing for me. I'm a Northwesterner. I love the bite of the IPA. But if I drink a hot, hard alcohol, um, it's almost always tequila. Occasionally I have a gin and tonic, but I'm a big tequila fan or mezcal. Um, so, and, 
I don't know what a mezcal is. Mezcal is like the – it's still from agave, but it's a smoky. It's really good if you can find a good one or really awful if you find a bad one. The, uh, the swing-on mezcal I found is a bit large. But someone at work uh, yesterday – and once again, I'm proud of ourselves because we cannot quite get to that first topic without a tangent. But there's a tradition at Microsoft. I don't know who started or if, even if it's really a tradition, but people bring in on their anniversary of N number of years that many pounds of M&Ms. Yeah, I don't know when that actually began. Because I didn't, I didn't even hear of it. I've been here for 20 years. I didn't even hear of it till I've been here at least 10. And yeah, and I, I actually started getting harassed for not doing it like the yeah. last three and years. People do variations once in a while, and I've never, ever, ever done it. And someone yesterday been here 11 years and brought in 11 pounds of, of M&Ms, and, and I thought, uh, maybe I'll be a team player and I'll bring in some on my 21st anniversary coming up this year. And I thought, because I, my 21-year anniversary at Microsoft is in June. Is it? Yeah. I hit my 20-year last year, so I'll be 21 years in oh, June. I must be 21 now. Yeah, maybe. Because I'm like, wait a minute. I thought so it was because a- I have been working long. I as- am. <laughs> Brent. <laughs> the, the sight of Brent actually thinking is like freaky. You know, <clears throat> as it, it's like so birthdays was, and anniversaries. I was, as I get older, I was just like, I don't story. even want to know him anymore. So. Yes, I'm old. Anyway. Go ahead. My story. Your listening time. I'm glad we didn't hug. Uh <laughs> I will this June I will have been at Microsoft twenty one years and twenty one is the legal drinking age. So instead of M and M's, I am going to bring in a nice bottle of tequila and doing shots to anyone who wants to come by my desk. Um Oh, but not that we drink at work. It'll be f- all the time. <laughs> Little teeny shots. If you go to you have a, a Bevmo just down the street? We do here? Yeah. Just up the street. Oh, I know where it is, yeah. Yeah. Um I don't know if you've seen these things. They're called twisted shots with a Z. Uh, I I really leery of pre mixed drinks. They're not. No, oh. they're 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 uh, these small little shot glasses, kind of okay. like K cups. And in the middle of it is is a, there's a divider, and they put in one beverage on one side and the another beverage on the other side, and then when you shoot them, they mix and so it's. Mostly not pre-mixed, but they're fun as hell. Some of them are really right. good. That's next, next, good. next time I go to a frat party, I'll bring one. No, go, <laughs> go get a six-pack. You can test them out at home with your wife, and then you go, hey, I'm thinking about getting, I don't know, what are you going to get, 21? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. See, I, I like getting good, like Patron, it's a sipping tequila. It's not a shotting tequila. It's group hug. It's a group hug. Yeah. All right. Oh, so anyway, back to the podcast. We're still recording? Looks like it. (laughs) Yes. Oh, indeed we are. So I got a nice, we got, I got it. It came to my LinkedIn inbox, but I shared it with Brent. Mm -hmm. A very nice comment from uh, a LinkedIn, a linker. What's it called? A linked, someone I'm connected to. Yeah. That that sounds very new agey. A connection? A connection. Uh, Chris George. He says, hey, Alan. I never thought I'd write a letter like this. Oh, sorry, wrong one. Hi, Alan. I've recently (laughs) found yours and Brent's A-B testing podcast and as such have found a new use of the two-hour commute time in my car. Wow. One, two-hour commute's a long time, and I feel sorry for that. But um, luckily, there's an hour we can do something else because our podcasts are usually You think it's two hours one way? I don't know. Anyway, he says, and I say, I've been a tester for nearly 20 years, mix of automation, exploration, management, etc. Sounds like a lot of the three, and Brent and I. And I guess in the last couple of years, have been struggling with working out how testers fit into continuous delivery teams. I've experienced the dev tester dependency cycle, which we've talked about. I yep. love that. Thanks for picking that up. Many times and have been in denial that the tester role is the problem. Listening to your podcast and the explanation of the dependency cycle and the unified engineering teams, I love that he uses unified, not the stupid Microsoft combined thing. Yes. So I'm, I'm digging. He gets our lingo. He does. Like he's really like, this is why I'm, I'm all tingling and happy. Um, <laughs> One of the three. Welcome. It's consolidated and validated many thoughts that I've been having recently and helped me adopt a more consultancy role in my current team to help the devs do more and better testing. So in a word, thanks. Keep up the good work. So thank you, Chris. 
Yeah, thanks, Chris. I we love hearing that we actually do something. I don't say right again. I'm not really, yeah, uh, not helpful. Totally wrong. My my goal in life is one of a I, one of my principles. I guess I wouldn't say goal. A principle is just to help people. And if I can help you, I've, it's good for my who I am. Well, we talked about it last time. People want purpose, mastery, and autonomy. Yeah, and. F- Furthermore, they do want those. We're still working on mastery. We're still and we're still huge fans of Dan Pink. Yeah. Um, if you get bored of our podcast, just pick up like one of the Dan Pink audiobooks and go from there. So He's I wrote, on the Hidden Brain quite often, which is oh, good NPR podcast. I have to add that one. I have too many podcasts. I need to delete some. Uh, anyway, I wrote back and I said, as I worry, I said it's nice of you to say. I said, I worry that we're kind of beating a dead horse because as Brett and I already mentioned today, we've been talking about the same thing pretty much for 36, going on 36 hours now of over two years. <laughs> but he, I say, uh, I worry sometimes we're beating a dead horse. And he wrote back, nice guy, and said, I don't think it's a dead horse. So we're beating a live horse, apparently. Um, uh, many teams are at various, various stages in this journey. Uh, he's been in a position where being able to react and ship tools quicker is important. For a number of years, it's quite easy. But however, howing, however, seeing how you guys change track, from, from my perspective, are knocking it out of the park, eh, regarding frequent high quality and reactive releases is just inspirational for a massive organization. So oh, I, when he said change track, I'm like, wait a minute. Is he about to give us a compliment on ADHD? <laughs> <laughs> That's the – you know how um, – I don't know if you're like me, but I'll have a podcast on in the car and then I'll think about something and I'll space out and I realized I haven't heard the last 10 seconds or 30 seconds All or whatever. So yeah, of course. So the, the bonus in our podcast is when it happens, you wonder – Am I still listening to the same podcast because we changed directions so often? <laughs> and it and it's a positive thing with our podcast, a feature of our podcast. If you do zone out for that ten minutes, you don't have to rewind. <laughs> Absolutely correct. Yeah, this is like the uh, Inception podcast. The, really, it's a podcast within a podcast because our tangents have tangents. The, <laughs> But they don't have tangents within tangents within tangents because we're too old and we will just lose track. Um, I know. I think we've done that, despite our age. <laughs> the um, one thing I was thinking about when when I saw this comment for the first time, you know, a couple podcasts ago, we were talking about how back in the day Microsoft used to lead the way on testing, but. Um, and then you and I sort of started this conversation uh, earlier than the podcast, but like four years ago now, where uh, we realized that Microsoft wasn't doing what the rest of the world is doing. But now we've kind of – it kind of occurred to me, is, is, is Microsoft again leading <laughs> – the the way in how in some regards of how tests should be done because I, I see uh, uh, Percy um, uh, the comment that we got today uh, other comments I've received Chris yes uh, other comments I've received from other folks right they're really seeing us kind of showing the way yeah so, but just like. Uh in the preface to this, there's this big book I wrote that called How We Test Software at Microsoft. Yeah. And even in that book, which is horribly out of date, uh, as the three know, uh, in the preface, like there's no way for me to capture, uh, you know, with at the time, you believe it, nearly 10,000 testers <laughs> at Microsoft. You know, what they did as a whole, I tried to gather some of the things that were common. Um, but even there to say that Microsoft is leading the way, I think in some places, some parts of Microsoft, there is some uh, leadership in how software engineering is done quickly and at scale. But there are also, as you and I know, without calling out any names, some really poor examples of how to do that as well. Yeah, no, even as the words escaped my mouth, I yeah, was like, I, leading the I way. I had to bring Brent down from <laughs> yeah. Cloud 9, skip right past 87654, maybe Cloud 2. We'll start there. So I'll say, you know, I'm I'm extremely grateful in some regards that that 
the the stuff we babble about uh, approximately every two weeks is is adding yeah. value to yeah. somebody's and life. And going back to the therapy, just talking through these things uh, that we're going through in our daily work helps me refocus on a lot of them. So it does it I get benefit out of it as well. There's a reason I get up early twice a month. Although we had a little break. Brent Brent skipped out on our last podcast. You know, I just moved it one week. Oh did you? All right. Yeah. But never mind. It was last yeah. We're gonna try and be back on a regular schedule now. Yes. I uh, thank you Outlook. <laughs> not hey, not very often do people say thank you Outlook. Uh no. Hey, uh, before we go on, we have another topic around this, but I want to give a quick <laughs> plug. I always like to plug. Uh, I haven't given a talk at a conference or anywhere. I guess in the fall, I did Eurost- Eurostar, the mobile deep dive after yeah. Eurostar. Nothing since then, and nothing for a while before then. But I am doing a flurry of appearances. Are you? Where? I am. Uh, a flurry. A flurry. A McFlurry. <laughs> is that four, uh, five? Three. three is, a, is three a flurry? What's three? I, I don't know. I thought that was few. Okay. Um, but they're all close. But flurry to, but, sounds cooler. But they're close together. Does that count? Sure. What is that called? A storm? Um, maybe we shouldn't worry about it. So on May 11th, for our local three, I will be at QA SIG, which is at Cordev's offices in Seattle. And I... This is... I was worried they wouldn't want to do this talk, but uh, Jamie Campbell, a former Microsoft, he gave a talk there about combined engineering um, in uh, maybe a year ago. But it was in a way, it was a different version than we've talked about the it. unified engineering in my team. We did talk about it yeah. long, about a year ago when after that talk. Right. So, given my experience, it's always easier for me to give a talk if I can just. I can tell how easy, how much fun, and really how good my talk is going to be by how quickly I can write an abstract for it. Okay. So uh, I quickly wrote an abstract, and I said, hey, I know Jamie gave a similar talk. If this, if this is too much overlap, uh, let me know. I'll do something else. But this is kind of what's top of mind for me. And What is the audience here? This is uh, – it's mostly tester. People – it's the three. People like the three. Is it um – Sort of an open space? It's, yeah. a, it's an open meeting? Anyone can go? Yeah, yeah. Open okay. space meeting. Anyone can go. Um, and what did I call the talk? I called it um, Testing Without Testers. And I won't read the abstract here. You can go to qasig.org and check it out yourself because I didn't bring it up ahead of time. I don't want to search around on my f- computer while we're talking. But that's on Wednesday, May 11th in the evening. Uh, I'll talk and lobby about what's how I've done things here on my team and and a lot of Q and A interactive as my talks usually are. Is it? Re- it's going to be recorded. It'll be. I think they stream. Not only record, they stream live. So okay. check that out, yo. Uh, and then a we'll few weeks later, I can't remember the exact date. I am giving a talk to a where the audience is a special interest group in Waterloo, Canada. I'm brushing up on my Canadian. I'm going to see how well I can do. I'm going to give the talk entirely in uh, English Canadian. <laughs> so, and that one, I think it's going to be a similar topic, but I'm going to do it. It'll be a little bit more broad. It'll be a combination between the talk I'm giving at QA SIG and the keynote I gave at Star Canada last year about how Microsoft now tests software, making fun of my book and talking about some of the more sweeping general changes of Microsoft versus just my experiences. And then. I come home for a few weeks, and then I'm off to Las Vegas, Nevada. You heard of it? I Las have. Vegas? I guess they have like uh, restaurants and uh, these gambling places there. Ooh. And they also have a conference called Better Software, where I'm giving a, do you know this? A three-and-a-half-hour workshop on, do you know what it's on? Testing. The, uh, what kind of testing? Uh, exploratory. Oh, probably. no. Brent. Uh, the three will be angry. Automation. A, how about A-B testing? Is it? It's on exper- oh, exper- yeah, yeah. experimentation. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm home for the summer after that with nothing else planned. But, uh, really, it's a, it's a large expansion of a uh, talk I gave there last year, sort of at the last minute. So it yeah, should be no. a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you played right into that. That was, uh, that was really it, good for me. It, uh, it so much amuses me on so many fronts uh, whenever you bring up you're doing talks on EB testing. I'm sure you do it just fine. <laughs> it just, I'm like, 
Okay, why not? <laughs> Go, Alan. You did a great job last time. Yeah, thanks, Brent. <laughs> All right. So, uh, shall we start the show? <laughs> <laughs> longest. No, not the longest. Not the longest. This is how we roll. Actually, we've gone through four of the uh, nah. items on the board. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> one says one is episode 36. One is two years. So <laughs> I think we covered those in about the first 30 seconds. Uh. So my product, uh, which is hard and fun and interesting and for all sorts of different reasons, uh, we ship to our production server once a week. You do that now. We do that now. We ship once a week. Okay. We do. And it's... Uh, so you deploy once a week. We, depl- I, we deploy once a week, yeah. But Because I still think you're like extremely locked down. Can anyone go to it? Can I go, no. go to it now? Different. We deploy to our production server, and there are about 200 users at Microsoft outside of our team who can use our product for okay. what, what our product is designed for. You're not one of them. No, I am not cool I enough. offered for you to be one. He said, oh, I don't know. I want to see it first. So I'll show it to you after the podcast. Okay. And then I'll get fired. But I'll show it to you. Okay. Anyway, I, I, we can get you on board. If only you knew someone who was sort of in control of access. I don't know what your product does yet. Oh, <laughs> it slices, it dices, it makes your it's a floor wax and a dessert pudding. Every every product coming out of Microsoft today does slicing and dicing it seems. But ours seamlessly integrates into the enterprise world with um, more buzzwords that I can't flip out of my face at 8:30 <laughs> in the morning. Right. They all seamlessly integrate as well. So, I didn't I say that? You did. So we have um, for customer and business satisfaction. Uh, anyway, uh, our product. You forgot the light. God, we can't. We cannot delight. get to the point. Like, <laughs> Brett and I are kidnapped. They have guns to our head, and they're yeah. saying, "Tell us, tell us where the diamonds are." So, oh, <laughs> did you know that diamonds are from carbon? And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and carbon. <laughs> oh, oh. Um, this is about a baseball diamond, but I was at, you know, it's like, oh my God. So anyway. So one week, you say? <laughs> every, every week, every week. Uh, uh, and it's, it's, going, it's going well. But you know what, Brent? It's not enough. <laughs> We're going to ship more often. So what I want to talk about, the subject I want to go back and forth is uh, pros, cons, pitfalls and benefits of and I have a I have a list of these myself because I've been preaching them to the team of going from shipping once a week to once a day once every weekday let's say and then maybe even more often after that so what are the things in, this could be a way too open ended of a question for a for a, a Brent question but <laughs> As you've seen teams or in your experience as you've gone from shipping once a week to once a day or any sort of acceleration like that, what are the big uh, benefits and the big challenges to doing that? And I have a big list myself, but I'm going to let you start. The biggest benefit, uh, bar none, is the more often you ship, the less risky shipping is yeah so so shipping more frequently dramatically boosts quality and reduces risk well there's with a whole slew of caveats but yeah devil's in the details there right that's exactly it there's a there's almost a little yin yang thing of because we're shipping every day um there's a chance that I mean, there's you don't get that bake time you get shipping once a week, and maybe some little things begin to slip through. Yeah. But because you're shipping every day, those things are mitigated or fixed uh, much quicker. I think over over, uh, I I do believe that the benefits outweigh the the scary parts that come with that. I think there's a cultural and people thing of getting over the fact that. Uh, there may be some minor, and I'm not even calling them bugs because they might not even impact the user. There may be some minor things that aren't caught because without that bake time, um, 
and for example, maybe there's a um, uh, in one build you introduce uh, something that causes this API to fail, um, but it's not noticeable and you and you're blind. You don't have the right monitoring in place, so you miss it until you start getting reports from a large the larger deployment, and then you go back and fix it the next day. So it's a dip. Yeah, but but what that forces you to do uh, to me. Shipping more frequently is all about what we call the outer loop. You know, the inner loop is like unit tests and deployment and 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 uh, test the, the testing you do, the internal dogs, a little bit of bake time you get in, a one, in a, whatever your release is. But the outer loop is monitoring. How quickly can you detect an error with monitoring and react to it, and maybe even deploy a hot fix? Uh, how does that? So. <laughs> Brent gave me. I, I was about to go on there, and then Brent gave me a look. So you, you're, you started this question primed with "I got to be careful" because it's a, it's a Brent question, and it occurs to me now that you're doing a great job pretending to be me, ah, <laughs> In answering the question. <laughs> so this is again, this is the therapy part because I'm, I'm, this is what I've been telling our team, and um, by Brent nodding his head, having go, gone through this more often than me, the fact that that's now I want to hug you again. But I'm oh. Like, oh, not really. It's, so I'm, I'm <laughs> talk to me some more. So let me put my agilist hat on. My, the do you ever take it off? Not very often. No. How about in the shower? No. Okay. No. All right. Go on. It's it's water resistant. There is a a great book. I may be forgetting his name, but Donald Reinertsen is the author's name. It's the Title I think is product development flow. Oh, flow! Yeah, yeah. I have um, a copy in my bookshelf. Yeah. He, if you, if you want to understand agile, and there's only one book you're going to pick, that's the book, uh, because he goes through uh, lots and lots of white papers, lots and lots of science, and evaluates which model is better. Okay, and now what you're talking about. Going from one week to one day is sort of the discussion of small batch versus large batch. Hmm. Uh, from, a, from an Agile point of view, that, that's, that's how we refer to it in the vernacular. Small batches, meaning you're constantly shipping small things, is significantly better than constantly shipping large things. Um, those of us in testing can can recall uh, so for example, the periods when there's a massive stabilization period and there's a code complete date right um, well and I'll interject there there are teams I know of at Microsoft who even within the last five years have had a coding milestone where three to five months I don't know how long three months were spent where you write code uh, you don't stop you don't get this is flow also because you don't want to get out of your flow and fix bugs because you can use the six-month stabilization period to fix your bugs. You're right. Now, and, and it's just a stupid process. <laughs> the, <clears throat> the, um, so they spend two years writing up all of the bugs that they're going to fix in the, the final six months without any sort of customer feedback as to which ones are important and which ones aren't. Um, so I, I think I've told this story on the podcast. So when I went to Bing, before I was a um, – I went to Bing primarily because I wanted to learn service software. I had not at any point in time shipped a service uh, in my career, so I wanted to add that little bullet to my resume. And <clears> – <throat> Uh, at that time, Bing was known as the the most agile team. Okay, um, so I went there. Uh, I studied up on agile. I was not yet a a, uh, a coach by any means. Certainly not certified in any way. Um, and read several books uh, before joining, and I hit the ground running. And we started. Uh, a Scrum model. Now, they had already been doing Scrum, um, and we made a. We decided to do a Scrum model 
And there was a, a pre-existing asset, which I didn't like the design, and we decided as a team to completely refactor the design. We changed a major piece of every component. And we did it in two weeks. We were proud. But just like every team ever, um, we did a bunch of features, and then we were like, ah, integration will be easy. And we ended up trying to integrate at, at the, the 11th hour before the sprint was done. And that two-week sprint cost us two months of unwinding because we had changed everything and of course none of it integrated um it was funny because when when i had when i had taught my team the scrum model i said we're going to start with this but then we're going to shift to the kanban model you knew right off the bat you're going to kanban yeah uh the the i can't tell you why i knew off the bat I just had forgotten. But if you had asked me back then, I would have told you. All right, put a pin. I want to come back to that in a minute, but go ahead and go on. So the team, after hearing, after going through this experience, like our, it was our second sprint that we had ever done. It took us four sprints to fix it. And uh, after that, my team essentially revolted. They said, hey, we want to go with the Kanban model now. The um, and the Kanban model is one of the things is is you don't do these massive integrations. You integrate one small work item at a time, and then everyone's spread out. So when the, I had a team of seven, there's a subtlety there that's important though, because it's it goes back to batch size a little bit or work item size. I'm having technical difficulties you with sure you. Do that. I'll, I'll help you it in a second while you're dropping. talking. I'll fix it for you in a second. Stop playing. Stop playing with it, Brian. No, I figured out. I'm stop playing gravity. Oh, great! <laughs> Physics come to A/B testing. Yes. So the uh, the size of the ticket on the Kanban cord on the Kanban board. What's a Kanban cord? That's an interesting concept. We'll come back to that. Uh, one could be integrate. Inter- uh, a the, ticket could be integrate. No, I. Could wouldn't be a good one, or do you mean a column? Uh, no, a ticket. So it could be you could. The yeah. point is, you could have an item on there that's way too large, and it would run into the same problem. So part of part of the board, part of what works is you need to have uh, items that are uh, smaller. Yes, so I took a long time to make that point. I'm very sorry. <laughs> uh, we even today, um, the the policy that I, I did back when I started in Bing is what I've kept doing. I haven't changed that one. Um, one of the things that most teams are aware of when they go into this and they're focused on waste is how much time is wasting wasted rather on planning. So the Kanban method, um, I, I kind of do in planning. I now kind of do a, a hybrid of multiple models. I think we talked about this a couple, three, sure. four episodes ago. But the Kanban model is essentially saying waste is or planning is a complete waste of time. Um, I don't know if Kanban says that directly. The Kanban method does the one by Dave Anderson. So he the the framework called the Kanban method invented by David Anderson at Microsoft. Surprisingly, when I read that, I was surprised. I'm like, what? This awesome thing was invented here. (laughs) Um, Yeah. He invented it here and then left. And then he actually deployed it um, and, and made his success in an entirely different company. Hmm. Anyway, um, basically says, as long as the work, Everyone agrees there's an 80% chance that it takes two weeks or less. Good. Planning done. And that sort of lightweight model uh, works. It works very well. The what Because um, it'll get caught uh, in, the, in the next phase, which is sort of an analyzed phase where you have to deconstruct it into the work. And... Um, 
we don't let the ticket move on if that person or the 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 people who review if any of them believes dude there's no way you're getting this done in 2 weeks or less then it, then it gets broken down into different tickets. Okay. So what are your columns? I actually want to dive into Kanban. Your use of Kanban here a little bit. What, you, what columns do you use? Um, the columns I use are the first one is analyze. Then it goes into engineer. Then it goes into release. Then customer validation. Then done. Okay. Okay. Um, so they come from the backlog into analyze. These are things we. Oh, and yeah, there's backlog, then ready. Sorry, ready is the very first one. So these things could be analyzed. They they they're loosely analyzed. Okay. So so but ready moves to analyze. So let me go again. Right. Backlog, ready, analyze, engineer, release, customer validation, done. Okay. So I follow. The backlog. Um, Basically, the backlog to ready is, is like a, a traditional product owner, a, a scrum-type process. So my team can pick whatever they work they want to do in the ready column. Okay? Any, any ticket in the ready column is open to them. Anyone can take whatever they want that is not pre-assigned. Um, but only I can put tickets into the ready column. Okay, and the promise that that I make when I put tickets into the ready column is that these are the next set of things that, from the best available information I have, will add the most business value. Okay, okay. Cool. Do you use a physical board or a digital I do? Board? So good because I've been playing with digital boards for our team, and I ended up making a physical board um, first for some part of our work, not all of it yet, just on the window behind my desk. Because there's something about a physical board, and I want to move it later, but so this is just temporary. But I can explain it because I've I, had this question Because I times. actually, um, I want you to explain it because the reason is I think physical boards, the action of mo- physically moving a ticket from one column to the other and, me, and having, when you go to, is one thing. So one, the physical action I think is... Uh, it going back to damn pink. I think it shows you get progress from that. Yeah, more than digital board. But even moreover, I think the digital boards because they they can be open or not on your computer, and everybody has a different view of them. One of the the principles of Kanban is visualize your work, mm-hmm. and I think having that board in a place that your team can all see multiple times a day and know what people are working on, and just I think that physical board for me is. Uh, a better way of doing that than the digital board. But I'm curious to hear your answers as well. I will tell you that I have figured out what is the ideal board, um, but I haven't yet figured out a, a way to build it that's cheap. The ideal board would be a digital board, but on one of these gigantic touch touchscreen monitors in, in a place of a physical board where where people have the tactile experience, where they move their tickets to done. The reason why a physical board is more powerful is because of the the social influence. The fact that you have a physical board requires you to have a regular stand-up where everyone gets together um, forces transparency, forces mm-hmm. knowledge sharing. Yeah, it, to me, the transparency is key there. It, for, it, it encourages, I don't say forces, but it encourages accountability. I know, and people are built, it not only is accountability, but it also allows people to have recognition. So there's the negative thing like, hey, Alan, I see you have five tickets. All of them are over SLA, which in, in my vernacular means... Um, you've gone beyond the two-week limit, right? So there's, there would be two crimes in there. You're multitasking, and um, everything's over SLA. So um, I'll interrupt for a second. So when, yeah. I think, when I think of Kanban, I think of two main principles. Uh, one we spoke about before, visualize your work. Other one is limit your work in progress. As a manager, how come you let me have five open tickets at once? Uh, What's your deal? 
that's actually the thing that's also cool about Kanban is it does support autonomy. So if if you have five tickets in flight, um, you made that call. Boy, I was stupid, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will as if I'm the if I'm the the what we call the agile coach, which kind of takes on the role of like a scrum master, mm-hmm. but it's Kanban, not scrum. Um, if I'm in the scrum master role and I see you doing that, whether or not you're my employee, I will give you crap about it. Alan, you all of these tickets are now over. It's because you're multitasking. I want you to pick three of these tickets and hand them off right now. It will, like, right during stand-up. But, but Brent, they're, they're almost done. They're, they've, they've been 90% done Great. for a couple weeks each. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then that handoff should be easy. <laughs> the uh, – God, where was I going? I don't know. Oh. So the, the, the ready column. So you said – Visualize your work, um, limit whip, limit work in progress. Right. And the other one that, that is just super critical is pull, don't push. Um, you're looking at me puzzled. No, no, no. I get okay. it. Um, the, so the, the ready column itself will have a whip because um, some, some teams, when they first roll this out, they just – Make their backlog and the ready column the same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I go, no, 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 no. I'm going to put, I'm going to force a limit on me as to how many most important things there can be. Right. Right. So putting a whip on the ready column forces people to say, I don't know if you've ever heard of this speech, but I, back in the old days, the first decade we were here, I heard it all the freaking time. The, the tyranny of ore. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> which is essentially an an enablement argument to say, "Hey, multitask and don't incur any cost." And it's kind of like saying gravity worked the other way, like multitasking. Uh, at the, the mythical man month. Uh, there's all kinds of proof on this that multitasking slows you down. It it yeah. isn't it isn't. Free. You can't. Humans cannot context switch freely. Anyway, where do you want to go next with this? I've. Oh, oh. We we have now officially gone from tangent to tangent to tangent, and now I'm lost. It's AV inception. (laughs) So we were talking once upon a time about shipping more often, and uh, oh yes, and I'm a big fan. I'll I'll just kind of steer us back here. Um, I like this conversation, but I'm a fan of Kanban as well, and I also limit our on our digital version. Uh, my small little team's um, ready column. What do I call it? Um, I call it something else. I can't remember, but it's ready. And what we, I would we, do, actually, when you go from one week to one day, the one thing I, um, after – in, in, in a feeble attempt to try to add some value to the 15 minutes of babble I just did, mm-hmm. um, it does occur to me that when you go from one week to one day, what you – you want to decouple – each developer's cadence from the ship vehicle. In other yeah. words, hey, whatever is checked into this branch goes live daily. If you if if your stuff is not ready, do not push the master. Okay, and so our our uh, branching structure is a little different from that, but we um, uh, we will still pull from our development branch to a. Uh, Pre-production branch daily, and one, and then later in that day, um, that branch. Once we've done just a little bit of of validation, uh, user experience evaluation, etc., that will go to uh, production. Uh, so there's a couple things that we talked about the outer loop and getting monitoring in place. Um, yep. Uh, that is often the best way to make you do something is to force it to need to happen. We, I'll be open. We don't have the outer loop we need to be able to do this. So there's going to be a pain point as we do this. It goes, oh, wait, we're blind here. We need to make sure we have the monitoring here. So and I'm, willing, remember- I'm willing to take that risk to force what I think that important monitoring, which good monitors are, uh, to me, equivalent to good tests, um, to force those to happen. So one of the things 
Um, God, how many years? Are you going to tangent? Because I had more to do here. No. Okay. <clears throat> so my variant of of Kanban, right? I listed off the columns that I used in in that variant. Is this a retangent? No. Okay. Go, okay. I'll be quiet. The if you remember, I my columns we released, then it went to customer validation, then it went to done. Um, what that customer validation does to a team is you can't call your ticket done until you've proven by whatever means you have available that the customer is now getting the value intended out of the out of your ticket right so in this particular case if you go to daily so let's say i work on on your team um we're shipping daily i just finished what i believe is my feature i released it it is now in the wild I can't move that ticket to done. I can't work on the next feature or bug or whatever until I have proven to you, um, the guy taking the role of the product owner, that it's doing what we believed it's doing, which means I have to have telemetry or I have to have a customer to go interview, which are the, the two most common ways of doing customer yeah. validation. Um, there is a team at Microsoft, the SQL Server Reporting Services team, which I used to work on. So I, I taught them this stuff. Um, they're about to ship. And I am my team is one of their customers now. And I'm finding uh, bugs or, or feature requests. And now they're, they're giving me what we call a CV, customer validation, a CV request all the time. Hey, Brent, can you CV this? Here's our build, blah, 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 blah. So it's fantastic. It gives me the opportunity as a customer to say, no, that is not what I want. <laughs> right. One, and uh, it leads into experimentation a little bit because one of the things we do is yeah. when, when someone has a new feature, we have a very simple mechanism what we call feature flags. Put the feature behind a flag, meaning it has to be turned on explicitly. Um, and we can do that for a subset of users and or, or for all users. When, when, when it you, gives us a, a way to... Uh, not like here's a brand new feature that may be disruptive. Turning it on for everyone at once may not be the best idea. A-B testing and exposure rings and flight control and all of that is really critical when when you are really live and you have more than 200 users, right? Because it yeah. you can't interview them all. Right. You need telemetry and data and those assets in order to scale. Right. I think that's the big shift. Like right now, we can get away with a team like mine shipping once a week, can get away with bug reports and, um, you know, a, a little mini stabilization. I called it bake time, but it's really just stabilization. We can get away with that shipping once a week, shipping daily or more often or even twice a week. Uh, that outer loop, that monitoring, that. Uh, being able to react to monitoring and, and, and alerts are just, it's critical. Waiting for test results is uh, not the way to do this. The one culture shift that you might encounter when you, when you go into this one is um, what we call swarms. Okay, so once you're shifting to prod daily, you have to sort of create an entrenched Live site first mentality. Absolutely. Like live site cannot be down. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is a service. It can't be down. And any bug discovered in production has to be resolved within the well, – my team, it's within the next 48 hours. Oh, yeah. I would say less than that, but depending on the severity of it. If, if you have the it, – it's a reasonable SLA is directly – related to how quickly you can react if you have the automation and the tooling in place to to do it. Um, you also need to have the ability to, if you look at the bug and you go, oh, crap, this is on the floor. I can't get this fixed in, 20, in 48 hours or whatever your SLA is. Then you must have the ability to do a 15-minute revert. It just, it, you can't have LifeSite down. Right. And then once you have something like that in place, the magic really starts to happen in terms of getting your devs aboard on the culture. 
because devs don't like being interrupted. And if you have a principle of life site first, then them de- they deploying crap to production creates this loop where they created the the this what we called swarm tickets. Swarms are essentially bug tickets. But on my board, swarms are the only thing that actually cause interrupts because live site first. And, it, hey, Alan, if you don't want to be interrupted, quit shipping shit. <laughs> and they learned that on, on their own very quickly that they're in control of their own destiny on that one. I agree. Yeah. That's a good plan. Do you want to do the last one? Sure. Okay. So I gave um, – we're in uh, lovely Lincoln Square Bellevue, and I gave uh, Brent uh, – not even a tour. I showed him where I sit. But uh, I have a kind of uh, cool little space where there's uh, four of us work together uh, on the areas I work on. And we have a nice little open space. Um, open space is a big topic at Microsoft and in the industry as far as you know how teams are organized and sit. Uh, there are excellent ways to do it. There are good ways to do it. And there are horrible ways to do it. And Microsoft because we're such a big company, have done all of them. It's great. <laughs> yes. Mostly we found all kinds of different ways to do it really bad. Mostly because often people see open space. Oh, open space is better? Okay. And then you end up with a – I'm not going to name any teams. I know one building, which is basically – I call it a barn. Yep. It's huge. Like It's like rows – it's like study hall. It's not really it's it's a barn. It's not open. It's not open space. Is meant for collaboration and working together and being able to have those those well, quick conversations. So it's interesting. Um, back, so the first team to do this at Microsoft was the Xbox org, and I happen I don't to think so. I happened to be in Xbox when it happened. Right, this was just before the Commons were built, and. Yeah, I no, I think there were teams doing it before then. The 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 prevailing maybe the prevailing pattern that I noticed or noticed before then were uh, uh, the shoebox office, right? The the office where you you basically get a four by six office um, with a big heavy wooden door. Yes. So, like the the offices in my building in Bing were were like this. You, oh yeah, you get this small little thing versus the old school like yeah you had gla- yeah glass doors there a little bit a little more open right called those the fish the, bowls. the open office but not open office yeah anyway. the um what when Xbox uh, did this move whether or not they were the first fair point uh, when Xbox did the move the spaces were labeled as collaborative spaces. Okay. And over the last 10 years, it has been shifted to open space. Well, it's, it's been misinterpreted a bunch of different ways. So um, let me put it in perspective. When I have, like, an example here, and uh, even when I was in EE, we had a really nice team room. Uh, the idea is that we're all working on the same thing. Uh, we have an area where we can work by ourselves, an area where, where we can work together. Uh, and those things, I think, are important. Uh, where it's been screwed up in translation, uh, and I don't know about other companies, but I can talk about Microsoft, is one, the barn, but two, I have, there's been a few buildings remodeled for open spaces recently, mm-hmm. and I have a uh, colleague, for example, works on a team in one of these buildings, and it's a, it's a big, they have rooms that hold, and to me, the ideal team room size is you know less than, Less than ten. I like like four to eight. It should be a. It should be able to fit one whole team plus whoever the manager is. Yeah. That sort of scope. It should so, be a functional working team. All right. So and maybe it could be a little bigger. Um, but there's a lot of these open space rooms built to fit eighteen to twenty which I think is a little large. I don't think it's too large for a team. Maybe if it's all the same team, it's all right. But the problem is, is they don't have teams this size. So he's working on the, the six people that he works with are all together, plus some random PMs and, and a few other people. They just kind of shove people in and go, oh, here's an open space. But they're not working on the same thing. They're working on, they're just, 
they're two different yep or two three sometimes four different projects going on in one open space which is i think not cool it it creates um it creates an environment that does the exact opposite. Yeah, and, and to me, it's critical because it's not just I, lost in translation. It's happened with, you know, you know, Agile's been bastardized in the same way a million ways. But if you look at the open space, I think it's a very powerful thing that really, really, really works unless you totally screw it up by not paying attention to the parts that actually work about it. There were actually, so when this first started, right, there was a study that came out, and, and I no longer remember who, but it came out around 2003 that showed like a back then valve and how they delivered software was was um and you can still on today go to the internet and find a copy of their uh oh the, oh, oh, the valve employee handbook i love right. it um that hey you come in you check out a desk you move your desk to whoever you're working with and you get stuff done right um and that study showed essentially that these open spaces improve productivity because they improve collaboration. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that, in my belief, I don't know if it's true or not, but in my belief, that's what kickstarted this this Microsoft. Move I don't know if it's it. that that I don't know hand, either. It, that's not it either. It's it's. More of, oh, open spaces are good. The college kids like open space. Let's see if we can not do any That's more research. That's what it is and, now, and but it wasn't what space. it was then. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm blown away by it. In 2008, there was a, a study done by MIT that said, no, actually open spaces is not what creates collaboration and productivity, but fungible spaces. The ability for me to go to a particular neighborhood, change the wall structure such that – so imagine this, yeah. this one neighborhood you're talking about with 30 people in it in five different teams. If I can change the wall structure such that now it's just me and my team in here until we're done with this project and then we'll take the walls and we'll put them wherever these walls go. Yeah. Right? And the MIT has this famous – two- or three-story building where they can reconfigure just about everything. And it's the ability to have the environment shift actually boosts collaboration and productivity. Mm -hmm. The other thing I'll say, um, Agile helps a lot as well. Um, The the joke I would would tell people, and it's not much of a joke because I've had it validated multiple times, most of these open spaces – what ends up happening is people go to it and they rebuild their office world in the form of a $75 pair of headphones. They're yeah. like, I will filter all of you people out. See, noise-canceling beauties. The What I discovered in my last move to open space and, and apparently my building, the one I'm in right now is slated for conversion um, or the beginning of the conversion in the next couple of months. So I'll be in a new building sometime soon. Um, my team, when we moved uh, in our, in our last adventure, we, um, we moved from office world into open space, but I had been working with the same set of people for a couple of years before we did. And I warned them all. I'm like, no, this is open space. It's not collaborative space. It becomes collaborative space based on how we we use it. I preform that. Uh, when we moved in, actually, one of my employees uh, who 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 is no longer one of my employees, but still one of your mentees, came to me and he said, Brent, have you walked around all of the other neighborhoods, which is what we call these open space environments? And I said, yes, I have. What's your take? And he's like, in comparison to ours, they're like graveyards. So you got a whole bunch of people, and there's a practice where they actually create rules around silence and turn it into like a library in the middle of a funeral 
Um, whereas my team, we had we had been practicing agile. We had learned very quickly um, the benefits of collaboration and knowledge sharing. So when my team moved into this environment, we were still kept together, and it was a freeing experience, not a trapping yeah, one. So and and that's the key. Uh, uh, I wanted. To, I'm looking at the clock. We have to wrap up here, but but moving to an open space doesn't make you agile. But an agile team or collaborative take, or collaborative. Matter but, of fact, but doing an, it wrong will do the opposite. But an agile or collaborative team can take advantage of that open space. Right. And and you that that's so yeah. Stop doing it wrong. Do it right. That's my advice. That's it's like buy low, sell high. <laughs> that, that's that's kind of the uh, advice of our podcast every week. Quit being stupid. Do smart things instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, that's good advice. Thanks, Brent. That one's free. That one, they're you know what they're all free. Good good point. Except they take an hour of our time and right. and an hour of our listeners' times that they can never ever get back. That's why we have a continuous flow of threes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll see how we do hey um i am still alan and i am brent and this was episode 36 and we'll see you soon for 37 right yes all right as long as math still works the same way all right happy springtime everybody bye